Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. I'd like to invite you to take your Bibles, please, to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. The Spirit of God devotes an entire chapter of the Gospel of John to the events that transpired at the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles was a feast that required pilgrims to come to remember God's provision for the children of Israel during their years of wandering in the wilderness. It was also a harvest feast, and so they had double celebration. They looked back historically and remembered how God had provided for them in the wilderness with manna and with water, and they looked at the present and rejoiced in the harvest that God had given. The seventh chapter of the Gospel of John shares with us three snapshots in the life of our Savior. First, we see the Lord in conversation with His relatives, that's verses 1 to 14, and as as His relatives want to direct Him to where they think He should go. Then beginning in verse 15 down to verse 29, Jesus is in discussion with the religionist. He's actually in a debate. Then beginning in verse 30 to the end of the chapter, we find the Lord encountering the rulers. As He encounters the rulers, They want to detain him, they want to arrest him, and yet he passing through their company because his time had not yet come. We focus this morning on that last portion of John chapter 7 as the Savior invites the multitude to come and drink. John chapter 7, beginning in verse 30, then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. And many of the people believed on him and said, when Christ cometh... Will he do more miracles than these which this man hath done? The Pharisees heard that the people murmured such things concerning him. The Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers to take him. Then said Jesus unto them, Yet a little while I am with you, and then I go unto him that sent me. He shall seek me, and shall not find me. Where I am, thither you cannot come. Then said the Jews among themselves, Whither will he go, that we shall not find him? Will he go into the dispersed among the Gentiles and teach the Gentiles? What manner of saying is this that he said, you shall seek me and shall not find me, and where I am, thither you cannot come? In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, if a man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. The Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. And many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said of a truth, this is a prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the Scripture said that Christ cometh out of the seed of David and out of the town of Bethlehem where David was? So there was a division among the people because of him. Some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on them. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said unto him, Why have you not brought him? The officers answered, Never man spake like this man. Then answered them the Pharisees, Are you also deceived? Have any of the rulers of the Pharisees believed on him? But this people who knoweth not the law are cursed. Nicodemus saith unto them, He that came to Jesus by night, being one of them, Doth our law judge any man before it hear him? And know what he doeth? They answered and said unto him, 
Art thou also of Galilee? Search and look, for out of Galilee arises no prophet. And every man went unto his own house. Let's ask the Lord to bless as we look into his word this morning. Father, I pray that from your word we would drink deeply, that our souls would be revived. Lord, we thank you that we, in the midst of trials and challenges that seem to be surrounding us internationally and even nationally right now, we can look to the one who has given to us the invitation to come and drink and be satisfied. So, dear Spirit of God, be our teacher this morning. May we go out from this place saying it's been good to be in the house of the Lord, and we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Samuel Taylor Coleridge wrote the rhyme of the ancient mariner way back in 1834. It's his longest work, but only a few of the lines of the Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner are well known. See if these words sound familiar to you. Day after day, day after day, we stuck, nor breath, nor motion, as idle as a painted ship upon a painted ocean. Water, water everywhere, and all the boards did shrink. Water, water everywhere, nor any drop to drink. 71% of our planet is covered with water, making us the only blue speck in the Milky Way. The National Geographic Association tells us that 99% of the planetary water is really not fit for humans to use. Water, water everywhere, nor any drop to drink, but drink we must. In fact, 60% of the human body is water. Of all the drives that we have, of all the needs that we face, our need for air, our need for food, our need for water, our need for air, we suffer shortly and we expire. Our need for food, we suffer without it over a long period of time and finally give way. But when it comes to our need for water, Over a period of several days, dehydration setting in, those who are lacking water will die, but it's, oh, such a painful death. In John chapter 7, Jesus uses the figure of water when he speaks in verse 37. If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Jesus is interrupting the Feast of Tabernacles. He's interrupting the Feast of Tabernacles with a very startling invitation. The Feast of Tabernacles was a seven and eight day feast. Seven days of commemoration, final day of celebration. Over those eight days, tents were set up. The pilgrims who came to the Feast of Tabernacles lived in those tents. The roofs were purposely made of thatch and purposely thatched so that those who slept in those booths could look up through the thatch and see the stars in the heavens and be reminded of how God led the children of Israel in their wilderness wanderings. For seven days, those pilgrims who gathered at the Feast of the Tabernacles would carry willow branches and palm leaves. They would carry fruit and they would march through the city of Zion. And as they marched toward the temple, they would actually provide a shelter for the priests who were serving in the temple courts. For seven days, they would ritualistically come into the temple, and for seven days, they would hear the majesty of the Levitical choir. As the Levitical choir would sing the great Hillel, 
Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. And as they sang that Halil, the congregation there with waving their boughs and celebrating the harvest would cry out, save now, Hosanna, Hosanna, save now, O Lord. For seven days they would watch as one of the honored priests would have the privilege of taking a golden pitcher and leaving the temple courts, going down to the Pool of Siloam, bringing back that pitcher now filled with water from the Pool of Siloam and pouring out an oblation on the altar as people celebrated what God had given to them and bringing water out of the rock so that they could drink in the wilderness. Now, at the end of the Feast of Tabernacles, having witnessed all this pageantry, Jesus stands, it says in verse 37. And in the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and he cried, if any man thirst, let him come to me. Let him come to me and drink. I was in Myanmar just a few years ago. And while in Myanmar, I was in the village of Kalemo or the city of Kalemo, they were celebrating their water festival. It was a debauched and degrading festival of people drenching themselves with water, celebrating their Buddhist and pagan gods, thanking whatever spirit gave to them the water that kept them alive, but having no knowledge of the Lord Jesus' invitation to all the world to come to him and drink. Jesus stood and he cried out. Typically, when Jesus spoke, he spoke as a rabbi from a seated position, but not now. Now he stands as a herald, a herald from heaven. And as he heralds heaven's message, he cries ever so loudly that the feast is interrupted. If any man thirst, if any man thirst, let him come to me and drink. He cries out. The Greek word used here, a krazon, speaks of the crow's cry. It's a, a loud, voluminous cry. Jesus shares a message of hope for a thirsty world. I want you to notice with me as we look at this passage this morning, a great pronouncement, a great pronouncement is here to be found that Jesus satisfies. 60% of the human body is made up of water. You and I need three quarts of water a day to live a healthy life. After all, your blood is 90% water. Your lungs, 83% water. Your brain, 80% water. But I think some may have a bit more. <laughs> we have need of water. I heard this past week of Ukrainian refugees who are boiling snow for water just to get by. So we open our Bibles to John chapter 7. Jesus is letting the world know that he's the only one who can satisfy their spiritual thirst. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy our greatest needs. He's introduced to us in John chapter 1 and verse 14 as the light and as the life. He's introduced to us in John chapter 6 and verse 35 as the bread of life. And now he's introduced to us as the water who alone can satisfy our spiritual thirst. And I'm so glad to say this morning that as Jesus makes this great pronouncement, the pronouncement is universal. It begins with these words, if any man thirst. Do you realize that all of our Lord's pronouncements are universal? In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are 
heavy laden and I will give you rest. In John 3 and verse 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God so loved the world. All of his great announcements are to be applied universally. In John chapter 6 and verse 51, he says, if any man eat of this bread, any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And here he says, if any man thirst. This is a universal invitation to those who are suffering from a deep spiritual thirst. There may be those in the room this morning who wonder, will Jesus hear me if I cry? Is he close enough to me? Does he care about me? Does he hear my feeble voice? Or am I frozen from his blessing? Richard Baxter was a Puritan who lived in the 1600s. It's called the greatest of the Puritans. Baxter said this, Had I read that invitation and it had my name on it, I might have thought it was referring to some other man who had the same name. But when I read, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me, then I knew that it includes me. I can come. I can come. And so can you, dear friend. There's no segregated water fountain flowing from heaven. God's water for our souls is available to every nation, to every tongue, to every people, to every tribe, to every person. The book of the Revelation actually ends in Revelation 22 and verse 17 with a universal invitation. I trust you know it well. The 17th verse of Revelation 22 says, and the spirit of the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. The old songwriter said, whosoever surely meaneth me. And it does. This is a universal pronouncement to those who are spiritually thirsty, and it's a pronouncement that's personal. If any thirst, let him come. Each of our Lord's, listen, each of our Lord's universal invitations has to be received personally. You personally have to come. Are you spiritually thirsty? Then you need to come. Are you spiritually hungry? Then you need to come. If you're seeking to satisfy your spiritual thirst by the things of the world, and you find yourself parched, Jesus alone can satisfy. And listen, it's not good enough for you to depend upon the position that your parents have with the Lord. You need to come. It's not good enough for you to expect that God's blessings of eternal life will be yours because of some far-off relative who lived for the Lord. You have to come. When you put your head on the pillow and you hear your heartbeat in your ear at night, and you're reminded that someday that heartbeat is going to stop and there's a fear that goes down into your soul and you suffer from a spiritual thirst, then remember, you have to come. Jesus has promised in John chapter 6 and verse 37, if any come to me, I will in no wise cast them out. And that friend includes you. Have you ever come to Jesus? Are you sure that you're sure that you're sure that you're saved, as Pastor Taylor would say? Do you know the Lord is your Savior? The poet said, I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give. The living water, thirsty one, stoop down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived. And all God's people ought to say amen, and now I live in Him. 
Jesus shares a message of hope for a thirsty world. There's a pronouncement, a great pronouncement, that leads in this passage to a glorious promise. This passage speaks of the Spirit who supplies. Look with me at verse 38. Jesus says, He that believeth in me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. As the Scriptures have said, there's no specific Old Testament verse that says living water will flow out of the bellies of those who have come to the Lord. No, this is the general theme that flows throughout the Old Testament. Throughout the Old Testament, we read verses like this, Isaiah 12 and verse 3, with joy shall you draw out of the wells of salvation. Isaiah 44 and verse 3, I will pour water upon him that's thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed. Zechariah 14 and verse 8, living waters shall flow forth, it says, out of Jerusalem. Now the Jews expected the promises that we find here alluded to, to be fulfilled, to be fulfilled specifically and to be fulfilled physically. But Jesus is speaking of a far deeper fulfillment. He's speaking of refreshment that comes, verse 38, from our belly. What does that mean? He's talking about the Spirit of God being implanted in the inner man. At the moment that one comes to Christ, there's this wonderful work that is done by the Spirit of God. Listen, to understand what he's talking about here. I think we need to take our Bibles and turn to John chapter 14. Come over with me to John chapter 14 and verse 16. When Jesus was speaking to the woman at the well, the place called Sychar, Jesus said to her, Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. What's he talking about? Well, if you found in your Bible John chapter 14, You'll remember that as Jesus is speaking in the 14th chapter of the Gospel of John, he's comforting the hearts of the disciples because he's about to go away. And they're grieving that this one that they've come to love and depend upon will no longer be walking with them. And so Jesus says in verse 16, and I will pray the Father and he will give you another. That word another is worth circling in your Bible. You see, there are two Greek words that can be translated another. One is heteros, we get our word heterodox, it means another of a different kind, but the word here is alos, which means another of the same kind. So Jesus says, I will give you another comforter, one just like me, that he may abide with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, for he dwelleth, he dwelleth with you, watch it, he shall be in you. Yes, the Spirit of God is omnipresent. One of the members of the Trinity, He's omnipresent. He's here right now. But the question is, is He in you right now? For the disciples at that moment, the Spirit of God was there, but He was not yet in them. Come back with me to John 7 and verse 39. In John 7 and verse 39, John is explaining to us what is meant by this? In John 7 and verse 39 we read, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they, the disciples that believed on him, should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Now John is writing many years after the death and the burial and the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. 
And he says the Spirit of God was not yet given, for Jesus had not yet been glorified. When Jesus ascended up into heaven, he returned to the glory that he had from the foundation of the world. He was glorified. And at that very moment, the Spirit of God was sent, sent into this world. You see, this promise that's being spoken of in John chapter 7 was fulfilled at Pentecost. When at Pentecost, the Spirit of God came to abide within the believers, there was an inner refreshment. The bellies of the believers, if you will, from their inner man, there's this wonderful flowing. It would happen eight months after the passage about which we're reading this morning, eight months after the Feast of the Tabernacles, at that Feast of Pentecost, the believers on the day of Pentecost were filled with the Spirit. At this point, Jesus had not yet been glorified. But when He rose back up into heaven, He sent the Comforter. He spoke of this in John 16 and verse 7, when He said to His disciples, I tell you the truth, it's expedient for you, it's good for you, that I go away. What a mystery that must have been for the disciples. For if I go not away, he says, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And that's exactly what happened. On the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came not just to be omnipresent, but to be present personally with the disciples. What? Don't you know, 1 Corinthians 6 says in verse 19, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, and you're not your own. Jesus is speaking in this passage of the promise that was fulfilled by the Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and He's speaking of a promise that was filled by the Spirit ever so plenteously. He says, rivers of living water in verse 37. He's speaking to those who have a spiritual longing, who want to know God, it seems, who are now believing some of these in Him. And He says, I'm going to give you the bread of life, John chapter 6, and I'm going to give you water, rivers of water, plenteous water. Somebody has said you could take the Amazon and the Ganges, you could take the Mississippi, you could take the Nile and put them all together and you never know half of the blessing that the Spirit knows when the Spirit of God has come to abide within. Amen? Rivers of water, plenteous water. And it's not a river that needs to be hoarded it's an ever-present supply. The Nile would overflow and, and feed the plains so that there would be fruitfulness. Even so, the Lord is expecting that those who have been infused with the power of the Spirit of God, their lives are to overflow and bring forth fruitfulness in the lives of others. When we were working with children, they would learn to sing, running over, running over, my cup is full and running over. Not the deepest song ever put together. Since the Lord saved me, I'm as happy as can be. My cup is full and running out. But you know what? It's a true song. When you come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, the Spirit of God dwelling within you wants to run over. He wants to run over so others can be touched. By the conversation that you have with them, they are led closer to heaven. By the touch that you give to them, they are touched by the Spirit of God and by His presence. By the prayers that you offer for them, you're flowing over with the Spirit. Our home is near the Flowing Well Park up in Carmel. I always find myself driving by up on 116th and seeing all the cars up there. 
It's an artesian well that was discovered sometime, they tell me, in the 1800s. And people, some of you probably like to go there and get the mineral water from that artesian well. It's always bubbling over. And even so, when the Spirit of God comes to dwell within the believer, there's always a bubbling over as we submit to Him, as we're obedient to Him. There's a bubbling over, a bubbling over. Here then, we tap into the very purpose for our lives. Our purpose for life is not to live and to gain and to grasp and to hoard. The purpose for our lives is to be a channel of blessings for our Lord so that others can be touched. If it's just one or if it be many, that someday in eternity God can say to each one of us who love Jesus Christ, well done. And it won't be by our power that the work of God was done. It's by the power that he places within us. Thank God it's not by our power. Jesus speaks here to a thirsty world, a great pronouncement, a glorious promise, which introduces us in this text to a very grievous problem. People hear what the Lord says on this Feast of Tabernacles, and they begin to separate. Verse 43 says, So there was a division among the people because of him. There's always a division because of Jesus. After all, the way is narrow and the gate is straight. So as we look at the end of John chapter 7, we see circumstances then being much like circumstances today. Listen, Jesus makes a universal personal offer to satisfy the spiritual longings of all men. And those who come to him, he'll in no wise cast them out. He promises to fill those who come to Him with the effervescent power of the Spirit of God. And it's a free gift, not because it was not costly. Free to us, but it cost the blood of Jesus Christ who died upon the cross for our sins and was buried and rose again so that we can know these spiritual blessings and be one in Him. And yet there are those who hear the message of the gospel and they divide. Different responses are seen here in John chapter 7 to the message that Jesus is providing. Some thank the Lord received. We read of them in verse 40. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said, of a truth, this is the prophet. Of a truth, lathos, this is truly the prophet. What do they mean by that, the prophet? Well, way back in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15, Moses has said, he prophesies that there would be one who would come after him who would be like him. Well, you remember in John chapter 6 that Jesus broke the bread and fed the 5,000. People immediately remembered the promise of Deuteronomy 18, how that Moses had fed them with bread in the wilderness, and they said, this must be the prophet. They had asked of John the Baptist in John 1 and verse 21, are you the prophet? Are you the one who was promised? And John said, no, but Jesus was indeed the one who fulfilled the promise that Moses had given. He's the fulfillment of all Old Testament prophecy. And so in verse 41, others said, this is the Christ. They had received him. They had accepted him as the one that God had sent from heaven to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament and to die in our place as a substitutionary sacrifice for our sin. But some rejected. Verse 41 says, and some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? Hath not the Scripture said that Christ comes of the seed of David, not of the town of Bethlehem where David was? Let me submit that these people knew enough to be dangerous. 
Sadly, they were dangerous to themselves. Yes, they were right. Jesus would come out of Bethlehem. Yes, they were right. He would be the tribe of Judah. Yes, they were right. He would be the son of David. Well, then how can he be from Galilee? Now, there were other prophets who had come from Galilee. Jonah was from Galilee. Elijah was from Galilee. There were other prophets that came from Galilee, but they despised Christ, saying, no, 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 no. He has to be a Judean. He has to be from Bethlehem. They knew enough to be dangerous. They knew where his earthly abode was then, but they didn't know enough to realize he had been born in Bethlehem. He is of the tribe of Judah. He is the son of David. What they knew was enough to make them doubt, but not enough to bring them to believe. There are people in such a situation today. They know a lot about Jesus. They know that Jesus is the founder of Christianity. They know that some people claim that Jesus was born of a virgin, But they've not come yet to believe that Jesus lived without sin, that Jesus is God who created them. They've not come yet to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They know enough about Jesus, sadly, even to reject. Some in this passage resented Jesus. Some of them in verse 44 would have taken him, but no man laid hands on them. They would have taken him. In fact, in verse 45, we read about the officers. These are the deputies from the temple who had been dispatched by the rulers to go and arrest Jesus. We read of them back in verse 32, how the rulers had sent some out to arrest Jesus, but no one laid hands on him. And when they returned back without Jesus, the temple authorities asked the question, why have you not brought him? And in verse 46, listen to what these deputies said. No man ever spoke like this man. Jesus had been speaking the words of life. They were mystified by the words. They marveled at his words. The temple authorities were speaking words of death. They wanted the death of Jesus. And there are these that are stuck in the middle. They are wondering, how is it that Jesus can be so great but not accepting what Jesus has provided? There are some who are stuck in the middle, maybe even in this room. You've heard how that Jesus and Jesus alone can save. You've understood the burden of your sin and the need to have freedom from it. You need a cup of spiritual water. Yet you fear, what will my friends think? What will my family think? How will it impact my future? Can I have my lust in Jesus too? In verse 49, the people who rule the temple make a true statement. These people who know not the law are accursed. Yes, there are many people who are accursed. But the rabble was confused. And there was an insurrection against Jesus that was fomenting. And Nicodemus steps in at verse 50. He's one who represents those who are still researching to know who Jesus is. In verse 50, we're reintroduced to Nicodemus. He's the same one who in chapter 3 came to Jesus by night. And he inserts this question to cause the people who want Jesus to be arrested to calm down. Verse 51, doth our law judge any man before it hear him and know what he doeth? Nicodemus was trying to turn the wrath of the rulers away from Jesus so that he could consider the claims and they could consider the claims as well. He was seeking a compromise. He was delaying. Friends, there's danger in delaying. Can I ask you, where do you stand with Jesus? When it comes to a personal relationship with this one who came to satisfy the thirst of the world, where do you stand with Jesus? 
This passage contains a great pronouncement and a glorious promise, but there is indeed a grievous problem. Jesus stood and he said, if any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. Have you come to him? Do you know him? Are you seeking the healing that only he can provide? Back in 2007, the AP reported a story, a terrible story about a man by the name of Dave Busho. Dave Busho from New Jersey, 29 years of age, had been hiking in the heat of the Utah sun. As he was hiking, he showed all the classic signs of dehydration. Desperate for water, he began to hallucinate, thinking that a tree was a man. He was pale, cramped. His speech was slurred. Ultimately, in the 100-degree sun, he would eventually fall on his face and die. Having spent 10 hours without any water, he was only 100 yards from a pond of water in a cave, and he died. But that's not the end of the story. You see, Dave Busho was not traveling alone. There were 11 other hikers with him. In fact, some of the hikers were expert wilderness guides from Colorado. He had paid $3,175 to go on this challenge. And as he traveled on the challenge, they saw all the sides of dehydration, but wanted to see him persevere so he could attain the goal at the end of finding that water at the end of his trail. The Associated Press interviewed one of the people who rescued his body, a sheriff by the name of Ray Gardner from Garfield County. He hiked six miles in to retrieve the body of Dave Busho, and this is what he said. They had emergency water with them. They could have given him a drink. They could have given him a drink. This didn't have to happen. And friend, someday in eternity, if you haven't trusted in Christ, you may remember this day when you heard Jesus offer you spiritual water. Come, he says, come and drink. Don't let it be true of you that this didn't have to happen. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.